Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. My name is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company, and this is the Risk and Reward Podcast. Today, we have two very special friends. I have convinced them to come on to the podcast after a wonderful night of dinner and laughs. Uh, Hal Bolter and Chelsea Bolter with RFS. How's it going? Pretty good. Great. Pretty good. Emphasis on special friends. Special friends. Right. Yes. <laughs> do you feel special? I do. I do. I'm, I'm getting... Um, NPR vibes, like the SNL. Right <laughs> we're talking about yeah. sweaty balls. That's know. right. That's right. That's right. Oh man, maybe, maybe. Listen, they, hopefully people just go watch the skit. That'd be the best. Right. I'll just say we have not discussed, like Hal and I have not discussed this podcast one time. Like we are after answers, the month of yeah. prep that so I. So this can either go really well or really. I think we're terrible. off to a positive start. <laughs> I mean, they could start tanking here in a minute, yeah, but we'll, we'll go. See. We'll, we'll see, see what we'll see what happens. Awesome. All right. So who are you and what do you do? Okay, so Chelsea texted me last night. She's one bit of organizational thing. You go first, and I'll I'll jump in. <laughs> so that keeps that'll keep things flowing. Perfect. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm Hal Bolter. I'm father of six, married to Kristen for 33 years, and um, I'm in my third business, so I'm the president and minority owner of uh, Regents Facility Services, and Holland, you call it RFS, is how we go to market, so that's that's who I am. Okay. Awesome. I'm Chelsea Bolter, daughter of Hal, um, dog mom to Frankie, my one-year-old yellow lab puppy the light of my life. She's so great. Um, and I have been working with my dad, Hal, for a little over three years. Um, we kind of have a family rule that uh, that the, the business he's in at the time can't, like we can't come into the business and it'd be our first job. So I've worked a couple different jobs before coming to, to RFS, but um, you know, really excited to be. And it could be nobody's there. first job. That's one of our <laughs> yeah, rules we hire. Uh, like we, we're not big enough to teach you how to be an adult. So we got to let Publix do that or, or one of the big companies <laughs> that has, you know, processes built around. We just can't be someone's first job. Yeah. Why, why do you say that? Why do you? It's. I it, mean, you're a parent of six children. Yeah, but there's there's just, uh, um, well, macro-wise across the board with all associates or, or yeah, higher sure. team members. Yeah, Just it's, I think there's an expectation of work, right? Well, first of all, we're old-fashioned. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, I would say we're old-fashioned in the sense that if you're a grinder, if you see work kind of in a traditional way of, of um, it's it's fully a third of of what you're going to do with your time, um, you, you kind of honor the customers and their what they want, and you, you got this sense of urgency about you. That's that's very old fashioned, right? This yeah. There's this concept now that you know if you got a laptop and a Starbucks nearby, you can work from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. and and make crap tons of money doing graphic design and or writing blogs or whatever. I I don't know, but that's not us. And so we, we have a very traditional um, customer mm-hmm. that is that has very traditional work values and expectations for jump and how high and those kind of cliches. And and so if you don't have a, a kind of a, a standard a natural building traditional premise around um, all the things that I'm sure that Home Depot, Lowe's, Publix deal with with first time employees, right? Um, you know, those, you just think about the coaching sessions where, hey, Jimmy, I know your hours are 8 to 5, and that doesn't mean 8.22, you know? Yeah. And there's this, you know, you're writing them up, and you're, a lot of people drift from job to job while they figure that out, and we just don't have that luxury, so. So explain a little bit more what RFS does. 
Well, I've done a lot of talking. Chelsea, you can tell them. Um, I would say we, the simplest way to put it is we fix restaurants in the middle of the night. So um, I think anything that's a little too complicated for your local handyman to come into a restaurant and fix um, and a, a little too small for like the ground up developer to come in and fix. So we're right in that sweet spot between those two. And we work for corporately owned chain restaurants, um, not a ton of fast food, so mostly casual fine dining establishments throughout the country. Um, and we work for uh, the facility manager um, of uh, who works for corporate, and they are responsible for about, you know, two to 400 locations a piece. So, okay. for example, um, I'll use like Chili's as an example because we don't work for them. So okay. <laughs> I don't want to like start naming off our clients. Um, but they would have a, a, a gal named Jane who who may um, run facilities for all of the Chili's in Florida. And so the, the general managers of each Chili's location um, are calling her saying, hey, you know, my plumbing's leaking, my front door won't lock, my electrical's out. Um, and then she's going to call us and we're going to handle it and get it to one of our four operational divisions um, where that particular project fits best. So, so how big of a job do y'all normally get into? I mean, what's the... I mean, I think the biggest thing we do typically is about... You said a seven-week, yeah. uh, uh, the roof caved in. And Holy the, smokes. The, the trusses, you know, the person, the, the people that built the restaurant um, that didn't follow the specs, the specs weren't tight enough, the inspector, a lot of people failed in this thing. And and literally a side of the restaurant, the trusses, the, the wall gave in, the trusses fell. And so that's really complicated because you got to jack it all up. There's inspectors. There's, and there's a lot going on. That's that's probably a, a huge remodel. So almost. it's not just spackle and paint. It is also sometimes structural. It's almost, I mean, it's almost always a little bit of structural. So really, even, in a, you know, if you're doing an equipment install, you know, we had to put in, we, we had a brand that wanted us to put in a new broiler um, all the way up the East Coast, 103 locations. They wanted us to do it in 60 days. Holy smokes. All at night. Don't don't disrupt the restaurant. And, oh, by the way, the, the new broiler doesn't fit. We have this location picked out, but you're going to have to grind this out and and cut out some metal to fit it in there and then re-weld. So we needed an electrician for hookups. We needed a welder. So the crew was kind of a three-man team of specialists that just went from site to site up the coast. And, and, um, and so... Even that, it's it's internally we call it figure it out work because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of specs. They may not have really accurate drawings. They don't have time to find them. So our project managers, in, in many cases, are are licensed general contractors, mm -hmm. and our crews. I refer to them as, and no disrespect to Navy SEALs, but kind of contrasting Navy SEALs to the infantry, right? Yeah. So the typical construction site is like you bring in the infantry and there's a Gantt chart. And everybody's scheduled with trades. Yeah, our guys could build a house by themselves. It may take them two years. They could do everything to build. They're just a house. skilled workmen. They're just like Navy SEALs. So you would, you don't send the infantry in to take out Osama bin Laden. Right. Right. Because that's takes a really. You never know what's going to happen. They got to figure it out. Um, but also you wouldn't send the SEALs in to take Normandy. Yeah. And they take. They probably you get SEAL Team Six could have probably taken Normandy. It taken <laughs> right. two or three years instead of, you know. But they. But it's just not the efficient use of what we do. And what we've figured out is this multi-skill, multi-craft, which is really hard to find. So how often are y'all you repairing um, damages from fires and things like that versus we just need a new broiler? 
it's about 80, 20, I'd say 80% planned work to 20% um, urgent work that, and that stat's held up for six years now since I've been doing this. And it's, it's, um, and, and listen, we don't get all of it either side, right? Cause yeah. it's not in their best interest, the facility manager's best difference to have all their eggs in one basket, sure. you know, and we could have capacity constraints and everything else. So, but it, I general, if I talk to our competitors and peers, it'd be about the same. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and take our first break and we'll be right back. And we're back with Hal and Chelsea Bolter with RFS. So what is it when I had a friend that used to work at a shoe store and he said every time someone walked in with a, you know, walked into the shoe store, he always look at their shoes and what they had on when they were coming in, when they were going. What is it that you guys see when you walk into a restaurant as a, not as not on duty, but you're going in there getting a quesadilla or something. I don't know. So I learned this from um, a, a great project manager of ours, but on my first week on the job, we went into a restaurant and he said, you got to look for two things. If it's really cold in there, there's a problem. Like they're trying to hide something. Like the smell or something? Yeah. And if it's really dark in there, there's a problem. They don't want you to look at, you know, trip hazards on the floor or potential pest issues. So I always walk into a restaurant and the first thing that pops into my mind is, you know, it's it's freezing in here. What are we trying to hide? <laughs> or, or it's really dark in here. What are we trying to hide? So those are the two things that I think if you haven't worked in restaurant facilities or construction, like you would never think of that. But, yeah. you know, I think that's a great operational answer because that's exactly what I bet nine out of 10 of our operations people would would do the same thing. I look for is it crowded? Can they pay their bills? Is are they? Are they going to be around in a year? Yeah. Um, you know, I think in terms of, you know, we get, um, when, when, when a customer calls and says go, we just go. And so oftentimes we figure out later how, how, you know, we sit down and say, this is what the costs were. We got to make money and, and we bill them and, and then they pay us on their terms. And so it could be 90 to 120 days after we mobilize before we even think about getting the money. And so I always look at a brand and think before we take on this, you know, new customers that come along, they tend to give us their really crappiest jobs that no one else will do. And, <laughs> and, our, and we try and put our best foot forward. But, you know, I have to be the one on the team that says, is this brand going to be around in a while? So I look around in the restaurant and see, is, are they crowded? Um, yeah. Are the customers happy? Are the servers engaged? Is the manager walking around greeting the, you know, the restaurant uh, customers? So it, there's a lot of that that I think about. And I, but I, I got time with Chelsea. I sat in your corner. You're there. Wow, new ceiling tile. Looks like they just did the carpet. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I, I, I do that too, but I always have to think about the financial side. One of the interesting things that you guys told me in casual conversation was um, the bar and how it needs to be renovated pretty commonly because of water damage. And I was thinking about my time that I served in restaurants and bartended and was the floor manager. And it would. It would get so beat up because drinks would spill. Things would happen. Just watching those bartenders dip in those glasses, you know, you rinse and you're sloshing water everywhere. Yeah. You're, you're pouring. I mean, speed it's, rack beneath it. They're yeah. throwing bottles in there. You're it's, yelling yeah. for dish to bring you new glasses. I mean, you're, bring, you're conjuring back memories right now. <laughs> but but if you uh, that that it's literally whenever I sit at a bar and I watch a bar a, a bartender really cook, like think like Tom Cruise and cocktail. Yeah. You know, and and you're like that bar has to be really should be remodeled. You know, every two or three years because it's it's really heavily utilized and there's. There's moisture behind there, right? You can't keep the moisture out from behind the bar die. The equip between the equipment and the bar itself, I bet it's it, it, it's just every time we get in there, it's nasty. There's there's critters and and hmm. just that's the you know what Chelsea's talking about 
crank down the air because it smells a little musty. Yeah. It always starts there. It's, you know, the, the customers aren't pouring their drinks down between the booth and the wall. It's, it's really the bartenders and the bartender staff and everybody, not to their fault, right? There's yeah. High demand. There's only 12 seats there and they want to turn them over all the time. And, and it's, um, it's very, which is margin. really the genius part about you guys doing work at night. So it doesn't stop business or it, it's a less of an impediment on business. That's yeah. incredible. So w- whenever you talk about um, doing work at night, how is that for new hires? Is the, are, are those, is skilled labor traditionally, you know, is there a niche that you guys are looking for whenever you're hiring and they're used to that type of accommodation? Or is it something that your new hires have to grow into? No, it's yes, yes, and no to those three <laughs> questions. But I'll, I'll let Chelsea kind of unpackage it a little bit. I mean, I think most of our best technician hires have come through word of mouth. So friends of friends or children of of our technicians who want to get in the business and want to, um, I mean, there's a lot of money to be made in skilled labor. So, I mean, we could talk for that in an entire podcast of just, you know, this push to send everyone to college when that's maybe not the right fit for everyone. So yeah. I think when... Um, when you realize like, what is your AC guy really making and what, you yeah. know, he's drives up in a tricked out Jeep Rubicon and you're like, what, <laughs> like, you know, so that's, um, I, I mean, I think once these kids start to figure out, okay, I can make that doing that. And I, you know, just have to work at night and sleep during the day. And especially if you have a natural skill or talent exactly. at it. Yeah. And, and look at like in Florida, you'll, you'll skip a meal. You'll skip all meals for four days before you go to bed at night without AC. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You, you will literally starve yourself to have air conditioning at night. And, yeah. And so AC guys can name their price. Absolutely. That is 100% true. Uh, there, there's, uh, yeah, you will do anything you absolutely have to to make sure that air is flowing. And it's witchcraft, in my personal opinion. HVAC, I, it, someone's explained it to me multiple times, and it, the way that that thing works is magic. Well, it's, it's a really hard trade. You, I mean, you got a special license because of the refrigerant and all that kind of stuff, but they also have to be kind of as good as most electricians because there's a, there's a ton of electrical stuff going through there. There's some plumbing associated with it. So an HVAC tech is really a higher level multi-craft tech to begin with. But we, Chelsea's right. We find them where any way we can. Oftentimes a guy that's really good at, at a home remodeling, um, they can learn, you know, we'll, we'll put them with one of our experienced leads but there really isn't an entry level tech job. I mean, we've we've had it a couple times, but the leads don't want a trainee. They don't they want, want a someone guy. someone that can go run with them. Yeah, they within a month they should be a partner in that job site. So, you know, you guys don't just service Florida. So, how are you finding these people in places that you don't even live? That's proprietary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, I don't know that we can. Right, it's, it's too competitive of a labor market. Well, how so. do you weigh them and how do you measure them whenever you've not seen their work? I guess would be a better question. We test it out. I mean, it's a night or two of of on the job site with our best lead or um, our best crew or one of our project managers that you know we trust implicitly and and we test it for a couple nights and it has gone really bad before. So I'm telling you, you have to have like a backup plan of. You don't just throw, you know, these people out on the job and say, you know, go ahead. You, you told us you were good. So, like, we're going to just send you out to whatever restaurant. No, you got to send a whole backup plan with them so that it's, you know, we, we can remediate the issue that. So that you have. insulate that worker around expertise, and but Correct. give them enough to where they can be measured. We want to cut them loose as soon as possible. Right. Like we're incentivized to get them 
independent. So we don't want to to have them with a buddy or with a project manager on site for longer than we have to. But I can't in good conscience stick them on a project when I've never seen them do work before. So most of the time we vet them enough um, via phone and and uh through a, a couple different channels and in, in our office, like we're talking, you're talking with multiple people so that we can kind of dig into, hey, if I lean my chair back into that wall, how are you going to rebuild the wall after it breaks, right? We're not asking them yes or no questions. We're asking them, tell me how you would rebuild a dish ring. And then they're telling us that if we get the feeling that they know what they're talking about, that's, and it's pretty easy once you start to you know, get the feel for what the answers to those questions are. And of course, our seasoned construction people will know the answer without having to, you know, read it off a sheet. But um, once we figure out whether or not we trust them enough to to pay them a training fee to go out and work with our best guys, then, you know, the, we send them out and we want them to get independent. So we're not trying to keep them in training for longer than they have to be. Who's the fastest to give you feedback? Is it your lead that you're partnering them with? Or is it is it the general manager? No, no the, we don't ever want it to be the general manager. Like <laughs> well, our goal I would is assume that. no. The, the general manager shouldn't know that we have someone on site who's a trainee, right? We and we technically don't. We have them with someone who we trust, and as long as there's at least two people on site, which is our agreement with the restaurant, right? You can't send anyone solo because um, that's unsafe and that's you know um, out of our agreement. But once we once we send them in with someone who we know knows what they're doing, the general manager is not going to know that you know, we're testing out a new crew that night. And our facility manager client is going to be thrilled because that's more capacity that now we have to, you know, take on more of their projects. So. And it boils down to process. I think what Chelsea just described in, in a nutshell is, and she used, you know, generic terms because it is very propriety, is our our new crew onboarding process. And so think about every facet of the business. We have a new crew recruitment process. We have a, you know, what's expected from an existing crew on a recurring basis you know, at the job site, there's a safe and secure process. You're working at night sometimes, and it's not always in super nice neighborhoods. So you, you, you have processes for all these things, and that's how you replicate any business. Cool. All right, well, let's go ahead and take our next break, and we'll be right back. And we're back with Hal and Chelsea Bolter from RFS. So let's go ahead and get into some kind of hiring practices. Uh, you guys are the first people to ever give me homework for my own show, which is, I, I mean, I respect it. I respect it. So yeah. you had me do your new hire test and I'm, I got, I got the results from me and I read through them and it looks pretty close to who I think I am. Beautiful. That's what the, that's but what it's supposed to be. You saw the back end. So what are your thoughts that I took from what I took on this test? All that, that test is, well, first of all, if, if it's, Yours was pretty easy to <laughs> interpret. Dumped, no, you, we, oh, okay. You, <laughs> we didn't give you, you a different you, test. You dumped no, it down no, a little no. bit. <laughs> no, no, just the opposite. You know, we we look for, you know, there's there's certain um, bars you want to hit, right? And mm -hmm. and you hit the bars, right? If 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 we have a question mark about one of those, the the company we use for the test, there's a guy there, Doctor Steve, who we can get a thirty minute consult with, and it usually takes about nine minutes. And we get on the phone and say, all right, Steve, or we have two or three really close candidates they're testing. And we'll say, help us pick the best out of this or rank them one, two, three, four. It's based on their, their fit for the job, right? It's not, there's no right or wrong personality. That test is who you are. You just said it. So we're not, we're not sitting here judging personalities, but there are personalities that are, that are custom made for, um, for certain jobs, mm -hmm. you know? So if, if, um, if you were going to go, into politics, for example, 
you'd certainly want someone with an extroverted personality, although our, our Florida's governor is kind of defeating that whole thing, but because he's supposedly he's pretty introverted. Yeah. And, but, but I do think you're going to have to grip and grin a lot. And, and so my guess is, is that governor DeSantis probably has to do a lot of recouping after those engagement where he's shaking hands and smiling and yeah. And that's really where personality comes into play. So again, we're looking for fully formed adults, you know, I'm not allowed to say that the HR. So we're looking for mature. <laughs> we're know. looking for three things. Yeah. You have to be smart. You have to be hardworking and not a pain in the rear end. Yeah. Right. Like that's the, and that test basically tells us those three things. The interesting part about this test, and I'm going to see if our marketing person can post my results online, if that's okay with you guys. That's fine. Dr. Steve will love it. It's okay. like free advertising. Um, so, but the test was, I've taken tons of profiles, right. For work and for other things, but this, the, the, what made this interesting was there was math, there were, there was vocabulary tests in it. There was also, you know, the, the most interesting part was the second half of where do you feel like you fall? And then is this an optimal employee or not an optimal employee? The learning style, that's the math and English stuff that you saw. That's the score out of 35. There's a score out of 35. I think yours was a 31, right? Which is, we jump all over that because that says you're smart to Chelsea's first point. That says, and Dr. Steve, he created that that piece of this test for the financial services industries because um, he works really uh, uh, heavily with financial services and some of the more complex, you know, tools that you all work with, with derivatives and options and all that is, is, is difficult for people to comprehend. So that's testing for how teachable are you? How quickly do you pick up on concepts you may not have heard before? In essence, how well do you do at school? And, um, and we look for people because ours is pretty complicated. I mean, all the most everybody is unaware of what's in the back of the restaurant mm. unless you've worked there before. So, but through that test, we've learned that we can hire um, we can hire you regardless of your construction knowledge and your construction background. Mm-hmm. And for for some roles, right? You can't yeah. be a project manager for us without knowing construction. <laughs> right. um, but for At least a lot which of side other, of the hammer goes in the <laughs> right, right. That would be bad. But um, for a lot of other roles, we have. Uh, we can hire you if you are smart and teach you anything. And and that's what we've committed to. And, and it's really, um, I think what makes our team really unique is that we just have a, a, a group of really smart, hardworking people that are not a pain. And it's, it's like magic. But there's nine steps in our hiring process. And that's like number three. So, okay. so we, we spend the $150 on that. When we get a good candidate, the resume is solid. They make it through a really a 30 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute phone call to, to gauge mutual. It's really to gauge mutual interest and see, do either of us want to waste the time on this? So you asked me some questions. We spent about 10 minutes answering their questions about us and then vice versa. Where did this system of hiring come from? Like why, why did, and has it served you well being this methodical? It's crazy. I hiring, you know, is like baseball. If you're, if you're right one out of three times, you're a pretty good baseball player, you yeah. know? And I think, I think hiring is the same way. I don't care what you do, but as the mar- labor market's tightened, so if I'm still, I'm, if I'm still right one in three or one in you know one in two, one in three times, in a tighter and tighter market, which is really what. And a, we got this whole thing over here is going on in the labor market now, where you got people that just don't want to be a part of traditional work. They yeah, want, absolutely. I'd rather have four side hustles than one real job. Yeah. You know, I, I shouldn't say that doesn't. I won't age well. But. It's offensive. You're right, right. <laughs> I, with four daughters, I they I get canceled a lot at the dinner table. Right. You know, they, they um they just frown at me like, <laughs> really, Dad. So it is. I they keep me straight in those. But the reality is, I mean, I'm just using terms. 
I'm not throwing shade at the people with four side hustles. Yeah. They're earning a living and they're, but there's really no way to track that in the economy. So, right. Well, it also doesn't necessarily translate to what you're doing. You don't need someone doing side hustles if your primary gig is. We're adapting that. Like we use for our marketing, we use people with side hustles. I mean, we're, we, we know that to go, go out in the marketplace and try and find a, a traditional marketing person to come into your company whenever you get that big, um, it's, it's, uh, it's probably not going to happen. So we, we, or you pay through the nose for a marketing firm who's employing a bunch of side hustle people. So why don't you just find what your need is? And if we need a logo design for a new division, Hey, let's see if, if Mary can do that for us, you know, and, and pay her directly. So, so you have to kind of, it's, it's a really different business model we're in now. So you've owned three other, or this is your third company that you've owned, mm -hmm. correct? But is this the first company that you've had your kids working with you? Kind of. Yeah. yeah I mean, as on payroll no, and but, free yeah. labor. Yeah. Oh, no, great. I, I paid great. We, I, we, got, we always got paid. Uh, Chelsea but, and Emily yeah. cleaned the office in, yeah. the, first, in, the, in the second Ten years business. old, yeah. But so, from, a, from a significant point of view. Yeah, salary. Yeah. So salary full time. Yeah, we've got two, uh, two working in the company now. And, and, and I would say both are, are top performers, and that's just not dad talk. And I think if you... I always challenge our team, hey, if you had to draft 10 people, if we had to start over again with 10 people, who would you take? And I think they would be in the top 10. I'm not sure I would anymore, but I know they would be. So how's that been to work as a family together? You know, where, where's the boundary line between office conversation and family conversation? Because you still have to be a family at the end of the day, but also you have to run a productive business. It's blurred at best. I, I think both of, I know Chelsea and I, we've, we've, we've developed habits of saying, um, can I... Um, hey, can I ask at the end of a conversation, hey, you got time for a personal question? You know, it's like, it's one of these things that, but I think it's, it's pretty complicated. You know, when work is part of your, you know, I, I've always, my being has been, you know, faith, family, work, right? I mm -hmm. don't do a whole lot else. And everything else I do falls into one of those, those things. So when work's very important to you, it's hard to turn it off. And I think our kids grew up around that. Um, when Chelsea was the only one working in the business, the other kids would say, oh, business Chelsea's here because she would be talking business at the table. Yeah. I pick up on it at like Thanksgiving if we're all, all out together and Grady and Chelsea and I start talking about business and, and the others are left out. I almost try to change the subject sometimes. And I think you just, over time, you just have to try and create these boundaries, but it, 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 it blends. It's, Do the others understand whenever it's just the three of you talking business or is it? No, they don't like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like it. Perfect. No. <laughs> so, I mean, in this, in, in training, um, your kids, I mean, throughout growing up, right. I mean, do you feel like that that was good training or. So work is, you know, so work is part of who we are, right? Yeah. So if you're, if you're, I, I'm, I kind of have biblical principles wired through me. So, you know, work was there before the fall of man. Work yeah. is all throughout scripture. Work should be a part of our fabric. There's not, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat kind of thing. And, um, and, and so we raised our children that way where, you know, we, we, we had, we had a, uh, a, a responsibility draft one time where at the dinner table, I just felt like Kristen, you know, Chelsea's mom, my wife was taking on too much of the burden. And, um, and so we just at dinner one night, you know, after dinner, everybody stay around the table and all right, so we're going to draft responsibilities. So I'll start with the, the biggies, you know, who wants to, who wants to pay the bills? And I looked around the table <laughs> and nobody raised their hand. And, and I said, all right, that'll, that'll, I'll take that one. You know, Robert Hal next to it for, you know, for 
drama. And I said, all right, next is uh, the grocery shopping and stuff. Who wants to do that? And Chelsea's perfect. She's like, Dad, we get it. We're going to do stuff. <laughs> like, you know, she's right to the point. And I, <laughs> I put, okay, Kristen, you could with that. She's like, yeah. And I, and I just went down the list and we posted it on the refrigerator because it really, when there's a lot of you and there's a big house, it's not, it's not right. So we've always kind of integrated. I never paid them allowance. I always paid them commission. Um, okay. And so if you, I think Bill Mutz calls it, uh, it's like on your eighth birthday, you move from consumer to producer. Yep. Like it's <laughs> yep. like happy eighth birthday. Yeah. You're now, producer, you're now part of the go team. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been in enough sock folding parties at the Mutz house to, yeah. to, you know, it's a lot of feet there. Last a lifetime. Yes, yes. I think Pam leaves them in a pile until she has company over. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> we can cut that one out. Yeah. There you go. Let's go ahead and take our last break and we'll be right back. All right, we're back with our for our last segment with Hal and Chelsea Bolter with RFS. So we were talking about family, uh, and uh, I want to get back to this because I think it's really important. One of the questions I is always burning in my head when I talk about family businesses. How is it that, how do you navigate seeing your kids, right? As adults, they're working with you. You don't go back to their old behaviors, but also give them the benefit of the doubt. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It makes perfect sense. And I, I, I feel like I'm really good at this because, and, and I think the, I mean, the first step is um, you have to reflect on what were you at 16? What were you at 25? What were you at 35? Who are you now? And so we've always kind of espoused to this, this, I, we have our culture at work talks about continuous improvement. Our culture at home is about growth and development and continuous improvement. I mean, I went back and got my MBA when I was 48. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think there's this, um, and, and frankly, I, if you, if you want to be completely literal in scripture, right, we're, we're redeemed and forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I look at those, um, 12 year old, you know, abhorrent memories from, from my perspective is those are lessons learned. Those are skinning your knee. And, and so I lead the same way with work. And sometimes it drives my, my kids nuts because they, they started getting these lessons at 10, right? Yeah. Hey, you messed up there. Um, how are we going to not do that again? What are you going to learn from that? Some of my really strong, um, co-workers that that report or direct reports to me they didn't start getting that dose of hell till they were you know 30 <laughs> right. and so so they're you know of course you know my kids are on a whole different plane of lessons learned than some of the others and a lot of people a lot of people try to avoid mistakes a lot of people you know, somebody, somebody asked me a couple of years ago if you could change anything about your life what would change one thing would you change and i'd say not one thing nothing because i'm who i am because of some of those pains you know it, it, you know, there's just this pruning process in life that we all go through that, that I, I, and my best example of that is my dad. Mm. My dad went to World War II and he fell in love and he, he gave a girl a tr- tr- classic story, traditional story, engagement ring, goes off to World War II and he came back from World War II and his, his girl married his best friend while he was gone, <laughs> right? And so, so then he, he marries this other lady with a 10-year-old daughter and kind of rescues her. She dies of a brain tumor. What? So she raises this, my stepsister. Then he met my mom, right? So those two really significant pruning moments in his life, if they don't occur, I'm not here. Yeah. So you just think about life in terms of, it. you know, it did, we weren't created. Life is hard, and yeah. we weren't created to go through life. So I think that's the major premise is I got to give them the same grace that, that I gave me, you know, to, yeah. to grow and develop. I, 
I just, that's, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that that what you're describing is uh, there's an occasional tendency to get this like continuous improvement fatigue because we have, you know, a, a 30 year head start on the the constant, you know, hey, we um, like it's not good enough. Let's make it a little bit better. But I don't think I would change that because I think that at the end of the day, like what are we all aiming for is producing a great product. So if we're if we're not looking to, to continually make it better and continually look for um, you know, how can we do this differently or how can we reinvent this, then we're going to be behind the eight ball, um, you know, with our competition, with our clients. And so it's just an advantage um, to kind of have that mindset. And so if you think of it as a strategic advantage and not as a, you know, I'm constantly getting, um, you know, and, and we do it in such a, I, I don't know, like a positive way, I guess, is it's going to sound, you know, trite probably, but just it, it's a positive em- environment. We look at it as an advantage. We we encourage our people to look at it as an advantage. And so we're not, you know, big brother standing over people saying, um, you know, you made that mistake and now it's a continuous improvement opportunity. We pick our battles. We make sure that it's, you know, something that if there's something that one person is doing that, you know, seven or eight other people are doing that we can loop into a group learning opportunity, like certainly we're going to do that. And so I think that that's, um, that's kind of the way we look at continuous improvement I think when, as well. You know, I look at my kids and you know, trying to train them, I'm trying to look at the whole child and not just the moment. How often do you give that to your employees, trying to see them as, you know, all trying, the time, all like the time. every time. In yeah. fact, I, I bet I've said so many times till their ears want to bleed. It's the cliche, no problems, no profit. Mm. You know, if, if you're not as a, as a boss, as an owner, you know, I, I, I look at the contrast of that, right? If you think about like, I, I mentally conjure up like Yosemite Sam, the cartoon, <laughs> and he's just shooting the problems, you know, and screaming at people and yelling at people, that classic cliche autocratic leader, um, people start to hide. They yeah. start to hide the problems. They don't want to tell the boss. I don't want to get yelled, kill the messenger kind of thing. And then we're just, we're trying to do that 180 out where it's just like, you know, open arms, bring me your, your sorry, bring me your problems. Bring, bring me all of the issues you have, and then we're going to rank them and, and put them on like a, a one-by-one matrix and look at which ones are the easiest to fix and, and have the most impact. And once we get that fixed, we're going to train people how to do it well. And Yeah, I'm trying to remember what you're um, – we're a part of a business group where we, you know, meet once a month and we're in separate groups, but we talk through, you know, business problems with mm-hmm. other, you know, business owners or executives in the in the Tampa area. and. Um, I think you guys had a discussion about shame and how, um, you know, I can't remember all the details, but just no one ever is super inspired to change by shame. Yeah, and so, 100%. you know, the more as as you're talking about parenting, the more you can, you know, not coddle your children, but really ultimately give them that safe space to, you know, skin their knee as often as possible in that, you know, controlled environment and not shame them for those moments. But well, there's also a weird balance in that, that I've noticed with my kids of one, you want it to be a teachable moment. You want to make sure that they understand it. But also too, I love the quote of, if you're not laughing at yourself, you're missing the best jokes, right? So there's just that weird, you know, that weird balance there. But do you think part of RFS's culture is to send people out better than what they came to you as? Yeah, I think that's, I, I think I've always looked at, um, I've, I've had some really talented people leave mm-hmm. and, um, and I can't control markets. I can't control, we're in a, we're in a really thin margin restaurant business and we, we just don't have the money to play with that say financial services does. Right. And, or some of the other really lucrative entertainment has mm-hmm. a lot of money in it. And we're just not that. And it's, um, I mean, 
heck, banks try not to loan on restaurants. That tells you how th- tight the margins are. So I can't keep everybody. So if I get a rock star that that I'm, I'm going to be as creative as I can to make life flexible for them. If, you know, one of our executives today, his, his grandfather called and said he was about to sign a roofing contract. And he's, 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 I said, you have to go look at this contract before your grandfather signs it. You know, don't worry he's about He's like 100 years old. Yeah. So, and he's, I think he's blind, actually, too. But, so that, yeah. But you, yeah. you have to kind of, but I can't pay him maybe what the marketplace will pay someone with his skills. And so I have to, we have to figure that out. So um, one last question. Yeah. He, well, I got a couple more questions, but this is the last official question. What, um, with your background in the military, do you think that that was, that has been a proper fit into these strategies? And, or do you think that, is it a chicken the egg, right? D- d- is it what's required in your business? Or do you think you brought this to the business? I think um, there's a couple things in the military that people forget. One is um, the government's rich, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's just no end of, they can print money. So there's no budget to speak of. A ship has a budget, but I've watched guys troubleshoot radars with $100,000 circuit boards, you know? Oh, wow. Like, take the circuit board out. Look, it's burned up. Let's put put a new one in, turn it on. Oh, we burned that one out. <laughs> and they're getting ready to put a third one in. And you're like, whoa, 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 you know? And so um, the government's rich, and the people have to be there. I mean, they, they, they have no other choice. If they go AWOL, they're going to jail. Right. So so there's, there's a, you know, business... Every, there is a finite amount of money. I don't care what business you're in, and and people have choices, and that and both of those things are as as uh, true as ever, maybe more so than ever today. Wow. All right. So we always end on two questions. What are you listening to, or what are you reading right now that's influencing your business or your life? So I'll, I'll start with that. I it's changed over time. Mm-hmm. I I I was very disciplined. When I was your age. I would listen. I would I would rotate through three types of books. I'd have some book on my spiritual growth, a business book, and then something really, um, in my world, kind of trashy and entertaining like Jack Reacher or yeah. or Jason Bourne type stuff. And um, It's so ne- cool. <laughs> so cool. Jack Reacher. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I've, at my age, I've figured out all the business books are kind of recycled principles and, and they've dressed them up differently. But so I don't read a whole lot of business books anymore. And I, I, I don't, unfortunately, don't read a lot of spiritual books because I just have my quiet time. But I, but I just when I I want to relax when I read, so I just read the the the, the Jason stuff. I listen to podcasts. Yeah. I listen to sports podcasts. Probably the two that I queue up and listen to every time is is Scott Galloway's business podcast Pivot and uh, is it Pivot Prof G Prof G. We yeah. like Pivot too. So, um, yeah. And I and I really like the Ryan Rosillo's broad show because it's a uh, it's sports, but it's it's a thinking about sports. So cool. What do you listen to? Every so day? I'm a young millennial. Um, so I'm just going to say my, my answers are very different than that. Uh, we, we as a group don't tend to read a ton. Um, so not a huge reader. Um, I do love the, for the, the record, sky. she hates long emails. Yeah. I, if you send me an email, that's more than a paragraph. I just know, just know that I'm never going to read it. So, um, yeah, no, no long emails and no books. Um, I think, yeah, we, we love Scott Galloway. He's, um, not for everyone. He's he's definitely you know shock value business tech guy, marketing guy, professor at NYU Stern, and he's just got a, a really interesting perspective on on marketing and business and tech. So we like his podcast, Prof G, and then he's got another one with a, a friend um, of his, uh, Pivot. So we listen to that, um, and then I, I mean sports podcasts, but ones where I can get little true millennial right little snippets of information yeah. and some comedy. So. I, I uh, was living in Boston when Barstool Sports was like really becoming a thing. So 
um, that was really interesting and uh, just started listening to, you know, pardon my take from day one. And those guys are so funny to oh, me that's and great. get like the exact, you know, snippet of football that I need for the weekend without having to watch, you know, every single game. And um, it's that's always like enjoyable to me. Um, so not a ton that influences our but wow. we did fancy football this year in mm-hmm. business. So, you know, maybe that's influential. But yeah. Cool. So last question is, where are you most encouraged? in your in the world around you um i'm gonna zag right where everybody else is zigging i i'm encouraged by the 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 dialogue although our politicians haven't figured this out yet and the media haven't figured it out but real people are meeting in the middle and mm-hmm. discussing very complicated things i had a, a probably the wokest of our children is our youngest daughter <laughs> and um and i had a great conversation with her a few weeks ago you know she was she was espousing how we need a new tax system and the billionaires don't pay enough taxes. And we had a really neat discussion where both of us listened to each other. And yeah. I, you know, I kind of heard her grievances, which are legit. And, and she, I, I was able to share some things about tax strategy and, and investment and capital that she'd not been aware of. So, so as we, you know, as we, I don't know, I changed, we didn't change any minds, but I certainly didn't shame her. And I think that I'm encouraged by the level of dialogue and I, people, I think our, our culture is starting to figure out that, what Chelsea said earlier, canceling people is not a good idea. What are you encouraged by? Um, I think that through so the the pandemic was terrible, right? But I think that one of the the things that came out of that is that my group or generation or whatever you want to call it, like these these '90s babies, um, were moving towards living in isolation and being really isolated, and then the pandemic kind of forced you further into that. And so what I'm encouraged by now is just the world opening up and and us getting older and realizing that that's not great you know like that's not a great way to live life and in the moment when you're just tired of being around people and you just you know need a moment alone like that's not a great lifestyle and mm-hmm. so i think that um i'm starting to see that uh grow into um you know more people getting out more people realizing that you know that that's not super healthy. Eating in restaurants, <laughs> <and> opening <laughs> that's restaurants. Right, that's right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming by and being a part of the podcast. Again, this is Holland Henderson, financial advisor at Allen & Company. Go to our website at alleninvestments.com. A lot of great material. And real quick, how can people get a hold of you guys? Uh, www.rfsrenovates.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys. Have a wonderful day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC.